Welcome to Understanding the Law, Week in Review. The show is hosted by Peter Lamont and Bob Hughes and is a service of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont and Associates. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law, Week in Review, is a weekly radio broadcast discussing recent legal and business news and topics. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. And now, your hosts, Peter Lamont and Bob Hughes. Well, good morning. It's the last show of March 2015. I can't believe the end of the month is upon us already. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? <laughs> I'm uh, equally in awe of the calendar's ability to speed things along. I know. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> the older I get, it's like a month takes a week, a day takes hours. I don't I don't get that. I don't like that. <laughs> if that means your life must be more enjoyable now. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. Well... I don't know. I don't see that happening. I, I think you're lying Prove to me. It. Yeah. Jeez. I'll, no file, I'll, file some, I'll file some depositions from people that are actually enjoying their lives at our ages. Yes, and then we need to do exactly what they're doing, which is like fishing and playing the accordion in a folk band. There we go. We have a lot to get to today. There's a lot of stuff that happened last week. Uh, before we get into it, I just want to thank our sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by Constant Contact. And, um, you know, I've, I've talked about in the past, we use Constant Contact on a monthly basis at, at our law firm. We use it to send out our newsletter and send out notifications and other things. Um, there's an autoresponder that we use often. So it's, uh, it's a good service. I think that it is better than a lot of the other services out there. It you know it's very simple to use. It's great for small and mid-sized businesses, and um, you know we thank them for sponsoring the show. They're they're giving away a uh, free 60-day trial, and that's you know that's a good amount of time. I mean, you know most of the time you get two weeks or or maybe 30 days in a trial, but a 60-day trial is a good amount of time. So if you go to our website utlradio.com, about a third down uh, on the homepage, there's a link to constant contact. You get a free 60 days. So um, it's certainly a product that we use. Check it out if you're looking for some way of sending out mass emails, collecting a database, any of that stuff, an autoresponder, it's there. So thank you for sponsoring the show. Just another couple announcements. Uh, the website has been updated. We've been talking about that for the past few weeks, utlradio.com. There is now a very cool Ask Your Question feature on the page. There is actually a tab up top where if you click on it, you go down to midway through the page, there's a button, click on it, and you can record your question. Uh, it's through a, a, uh, a, a widget um, provided by SpeakPipe. And just record your question right from you know, your chair to your computer. We get it, and then we will play your question live on our Tuesday show, our live business and legal Q&A. We'll answer your questions um, if your question's played on the air, you get a free mug or T-shirt. So that's a cool feature, so check that out, utlradio.com. And finally, the app, our law firm's app, has been updated. 
And if you go right to uh, either iTunes or the Android App Store, and you just search Peter Lamont, the app will come up. And it's a pretty cool app, I must say. We just recently brought it into the Android market. Up until this point, it's been exclusively on iTunes. Um, but it's got some nifty features. It's got an Ask a Question feature where you can ask your legal question directly through your iPhone, Android phone, or iPad or Android um, you know, tablet. And then it comes right to one of our attorneys. We answer it right back. There's no, no charge, free of charge for the whole thing. So download the app. It's got a bunch of cool features. Uh, we're adding new features every month. So check that out. And I think that's going to do it for announcements. So, you know, we had a lot happen last week. You had Amanda Knox had her conviction overturned. And uh, I heard, I think it was uh, today or yesterday, I heard that she is considering suing, going to Italy, writing a book about her, you know, event, if you want to call it that, and then suing them. Now, why, Bob, would you go back to Italy and sue them? (laughs) Because you have a penchant for punishment. Wouldn't you stay away? Wouldn't you stay far away? That, that you know, I think it goes back to the conversation we were having earlier in common sense. You just sometimes it just falls through the cracks. Yeah, I don't understand it. I mean, there is no way that I would ever go back to the country where they were trying to convict me of you know a twenty-plus year murder sentence. I would say my prayers, my blessings. So you don't know if it's a show of defiance where she's saying, "Hey, you know what? I'm innocent, and I'm going to prove I'm innocent by going back and threatening all of you." Or stupidity. I don't know. Uh, I, don't know. I think it uh, sometimes it just you know it's, it's the old uh, uh, I'm the only innocent I'm the only only guilty man in Shawshank. You know everybody's innocent. Everybody's innocent. You know just, sh- if you're innocent, shut up and go away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Call it else? good. Especially in her case, she's been convicted once. <laughs> let it go. Yeah, really. Let it go. Run to the hills and live your life. And we also had the the German um, airplane crashing. And then you, yeah. you learn that, you know, it was a mentally disturbed pilot and everybody knew about it or should have known about it. So, you know, just wait for the lawsuits to pile in over there. Yeah, yeah. It's Well, and what's going to happen is, uh, again, everyone's going – I think they've already instituted a, instituted a third person now. There has to be two people in the cockpit at all times. Yeah. Well, wait till those two people are in cahoots. Yeah, well, you know, that's how it is in the U.S. And I think a lot of the European – Airlines, they they didn't have that model, which I don't understand. I mean, it kind of makes sense that you'd want two people in the pit. One falls asleep. You know, autopilot, the inflatable uh, dummy like an airplane (laughs) doesn't come out. Will will that qualify as the third person? I I think it's okay. I mean, it's okay in the movie, right? (laughs) That's right. Oh, man, I, I can't get my head off of that, so... Yeah, there's been uh, it's been a, it's been a that that makes for a busy week in, it, in itself. Usually, I mean, you know, planes aren't supposed to fall out of the sky. You know, they're supposed. I mean, they're, it's it's amazing that, that they even fly in the first place. But once we get them up there, they're not supposed to crash. So when something goes wrong, everyone starts to wonder why. What happened? Especially now, you know, obviously post nine eleven. You know, what what was the cause? Was it was it uh, terrorism or um, was it pilot error? And so it's the whole new brand of speculation begins to uh, 
rear its ugly head across the 24-hour news cycle that is our world. Yeah. Yep. yep. So it's it's it makes for a busy week because everything else gets shoved aside. I mean, because you look you look at I me mean, and now you know and, I, and we did, we didn't put it up here and I don't know um, uh, if we just didn't have room for it today, but um, you know Hillary Clinton wiping that email server clean. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, we were asking for it. You know, we being Congress. Now all of a sudden, you gave us some. Now you erased it. Did you think we were done? But yeah. uh, you know, and that's, that's and depending obviously which news I'll let you watch. It <laughs> it's either a top story or not a top story. Yeah, and you know that that has to have a major impact on her chances of ever, you know, getting elected, which I don't think would happen anyway. But. I think that she probably shot herself in the foot with that, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people probably trusted her before. But I think once they start um, uh, going through a lot of the things she's done in in the past couple of years, people are going to start to maybe question themselves. And, you know, I'm not going to get into whether or not they should. It's their own personal opinion. But, um, you know, gosh, if it talks like a duck and it walks like a duck, chances are it is a duck. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, and on to uh, some of the things we're talking about. Actually, we'll start with a follow-up, Peter, if we could. Yeah. Um, a woman who filed suit finally against Planet Fitness following a transgender locker room controversy, but not the one you'd think. This is from the one that felt she was wronged in the first place. WNEM.com, Edlin, Michigan, right down the street. A legal dust-up continues between a Planet Fitness and a woman it kicked out after she questioned the company's transgender-friendly locker room policy. The woman suing the company isn't just upset. She claims she suffered as a result. Yvette Cormier said she joined Planet Fitness so she could stay in shape. What she didn't expect was to see a man, baby, who identifies himself as a woman in the woman's locker room. She complained and Planet Fitness revoked her membership. Well, and she also was kind of adamant about her complaints to other people as well. Planet Fitness claimed Cormier violated the gym's non-discrimination policy, and she said she was never told about that policy. And then on Monday of last week, she filed a lawsuit against Planet Fitness in Midland County Circuit Court. In it, Cormier says Planet Fitness's policy on gender identity creates a hostile and offensive environment for women and children, claiming that allowing a transgender woman into the locker room is an invasion of privacy and also impedes on civil rights. The suit also claims that canceling Cormier's membership without her making or without her being fully aware of it, uh, its policies is a breach of contract as well. She says that they should point that out before you sign up to join their gym or post it on the front of the bathroom door, referring to the apparently open door policy they have in the restrooms. Cormier is seeking more than $25,000 in damages for the loss of her membership and severe emotional distress. Planet Fitness is not commenting on pending litigation, but has stated in the past that they do stand by their policy. You know, it's it's this is that, you know, at what point does one group's civil rights impede on another group's civil rights? I don't see this even as a civil rights case for her. I think this is a breach of contract case at best. Mm-hmm. Um, and, okay. and she's going to have to argue, you know, the elements of, of contract are that there was a, an offer and acceptance and that there was a meeting of the minds. So she's going to have to go back and argue that she didn't understand that having a man who was a woman, was woman as a man, whatever it might be, in the locker room violates or breaches the contract. She's going to have to argue that that was never contemplated at the time she signed up. Civil sure. rights violations, I don't see a civil rights violation. I don't see a hostile environment. There's clearly no employer-employee relationship. I don't see 
violation of her state or federal civil rights. The fact is, is that they say she violated the policy that's in the contract. So I think it is, um, I don't know, I think it's more propaganda on the part of the lawyer because clearly you're going to get a lot of publicity from this. And I think at best the fallback position is you breached the contract. It's fair that you canceled my membership. Um, you've got to look at what kind of monetary damages she might have too because if you're paying $20 a month or $10 a month to Planet Fitness, what could she possibly be out when they terminated her contract but a prorated share of $10 a month? Um, that's <laughs> how I would look at it. I, I don't know that it's necessarily a winner. I think it's a, a publicity thing. So Is, is her civil rights claim based on a, an expectation of privacy in a locker room amongst a sex? And is, does such a thing exist? You know, I don't think that that's a civil rights claim. I mean, you're going to have people that say, oh, sure it is. I don't see it as a civil rights claim. I see it as, um, you know, A, a fact of modern life that, that's something that you've got to contend with. Um, I mean, what's the difference between, and I, I know that, that people are going to argue and say, well, there's a definite difference. But what's the difference between having somebody that's a lesbian in the locker room and a lesbian, in theory, right, would be attracted to other women? So now right. what? You're going to say, well, wait a minute, what's your sexual preference? Because if you're gay and you're a lesbian, then we don't want you in the locker room. I think that the times are changing and you've got to kind of wake up and say, look, regardless of what your personal feelings are, you can't make it go away. And I don't, I don't see it as an expectation of privacy. I don't see it as a civil rights claim. I don't see any of that actually playing out. I think that they're a deep pocket defendant. You know, think about all the the millions of people who pay ten bucks a month, and I think that that's what this is about. And maybe it's it's about her proving a personal point. Maybe she's angry, but I I am sure. I mean, look, if somebody kicked me out of the gym that I was going to, there are a bunch of other gyms I could go to. And what would my damages be? I think it's it's limited. I don't know. I don't like this case, this claim. Um, you know. Whether or not I don't like Planet Fitness, I've talked about that before. <laughs> even though I don't like Planet Fitness because I think their rules See, are ridiculous, this is not a civil rights claim that you throw money at. I don't know. This one either is going to go away early, and uh, you know, just because of, of you know, Planet Fitness doesn't want to waste their time on this one. It's either going to go away early and settle, or I think it'll be dismissed. So. Let me play uh, devil's advocate a little bit and take this into the realm of whether or not he will set a precedent. If you have, um, let's let's take it away from Planet Fitness and take it to a uh, sporting event and in the in the in the in the uh, restroom, and you have children in the restroom, and then you end up with a transgender individual in there, which obviously the packaging is not the same. And what what kind of um, what kind of what kind of I don't want to say the word right, but what 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 expectation of? Gosh, I, I can't think of any uh, privacy or or um, censorship really. Even I don't need, you can't even dig up the word, but to ensure that your your young children don't see the other equipment that you prefer them not seeing at this at that point in their lives. I, I really don't think that there is any legal protection for that because wow. I think that the rights of the individuals who are either um, um, 
changing their gender or whatever the, mm-hmm. the right way of categorizing that, I think that their rights probably with the extent of liberal civil rights protection groups, um, ACLU and all these other, I, I think that they probably have a stronger position than the other people. And I think that it's going to come down to, well, if you're in there with your children and you don't want them to see something, um, you know, put your hand in front of their face. Because then that goes back to, all right, well, you don't believe in homosexuality uh, in any sense. And so your son or daughter are walking in the park or at a sporting event and you see two men kissing. So now what? You're going to say you're not allowed Mm -hmm. to do that because, you know, that's not going to happen. I, I just, I think that regardless of your political or religious beliefs, I think it is a fact of life. And so if you are opposed to that lifestyle and you choose to talk to your children one way, I think that's an individual thing. I just think that the people who are making these, um, these, these changes in their anatomy, I think they probably have more rights to an extent than we do. Um, you know, who are sticking with what we've got. Oh, sure. And I don't think that there's, I don't think there's um, um, a situation where those people want to, I say those people, people that want to make that choice, want, want to be in a situation where they're going to make other people feel uncomfortable anyway. Um, and I think at, that for the most part, if they are going through a, a gender identification issue or a changeover, I think a lot of people will take the opportunity to use a unisex bathroom. And I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a blatant um, call for um, them to do one thing or the other thing is it's, it's, it's when you don't have that choice as uh, you know, the person that is straight per se, or identifying with what their gender was assigned at birth, um, those people's choices become limited in what they see. And, and so that's where you're saying it's really, that's too bad because now you're, you're in a public, really a public area and what happens happens and you're not going to be in control of that. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, think so, it's, I think you have to just deal with it. I think the same way that we as a, a global society have come to accept certain things, marijuana in Colorado, you know, uh, <laughs> homosexuality, any of the things that, that we now have a better understanding of or um, tolerance of, or, or, you know, I think you have to deal with it. Yeah, better understanding is a good way to put that, actually, because there are things now that we understand now more than ever about certain issues. So, Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, you just have to, if you're going to live in a world where people get along, which you and I were talking about before the show, I mean, just if people weren't so ignorant and stubborn and aggressive in general, I think that there'd be a lot of uh, happier people. But you know what? If there were happier people, therapists wouldn't have jobs. And then you'd have a whole group of therapy rights you know, advocates. What's wrong with you people? Why aren't you taking medication? And then the, the, the pharmaceutical industry would go down the toilet. It would collapse, yeah. It's <laughs> a good point. There we go. And follow the dollars and you'll get your answer. That's right. <laughs> We've talked about this before. We have online review uh, Sites, I suppose, like Yelp, and, and there's some other uh, other. Um, that's probably the most popular, I'd assume, online yeah. review because uh, Yahoo has reviews and uh, Travelocity has reviews. There's all sorts of ways to leave reviews. Uh, well, a restaurant owner proves that a Yelper lied with surveillance footage. Oops. NBCNewYork.com uh, telling us that a Chinese restaurant in Millbrae got a bad review on Yelp, and the restaurant owner's son fought back with surveillance video proving the reviewer 
had only been inside the bustling eatery for 22 seconds. Yelp member named Dan W. from San Bruno wrote that the restaurant named Millbrae's Wonderful would not seat him on March 18th and awarded the restaurant one star. The lowest review possible. A review since removed by Yelp said, it's not that classy of a place and they wouldn't even seat me. But the restaurant's owner, the son, Yu Yu Zhu, who is studying abroad in England but still manages the finances and the website, didn't believe it, and he set out to prove the reviewer was wrong. People think that business owners are not adversely affected, he told NBC Bay Area by Skype on Thursday evening, but we are both personally and professionally. So he carefully poured over the restaurant's surveillance video and tracked Dan W. down based on what he said he wore at the time he entered the restaurant. Zoo said he wanted to watch the video to see if Dan W.'s claims were true and revise any policies if need be. Good thought. Instead, the video he posted on the restaurant's website showed that the man in question entered the front door, lingering for just less than 30 seconds, talking to no one and leaving. And at that point, he said, I realized none of what he said was true, as Zoo said. So he posted a response to Dan W. on the restaurant's website with an additional video footage showing the customer didn't even sign the waiting list at the door. It concludes with a stern warning. You are prohibited from returning to Wonderful, aren't we all? If we catch you, you will be arrested for trespassing. Yelp confirmed that Dan W. has since removed his account. Bang! You know, and it's unfortunate you have to fight back against these people. I love seeing when you put a review up, whether it's good or bad, they actually respond. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Interesting... In... Go mm-hmm. ahead. You first. Oh, I was saying, it may be, may be something that, they need to fix on some of these systems um, if that particular business does or doesn't belong to that particular review site so that they can actually manage it. Because you can, you can review any business anywhere, and possibly that business will never know it. It's true, but, you know, I'm having a bit of a problem with this whole new area of, um, of claims because okay. there are a, a significant, significant number of attorney websites out there who are now sort of uh, encouraging business owners to look at the possibility of filing. Um, it's disturbing because the way that I see it is like this. So, you know, years ago, before legislative change, changes were enacted, plaintiffs' attorneys, they loved and they fed off of, it was their, their bottom feeder business, the auto accidents. And oh. with... Yeah, insurance company reform, like for example, in New York, New Jersey, it's more difficult to sue for you know a broken finger or a hangnail or something insignificant in an auto accident. <laughs> and so these attorneys who were getting you know twenty five hundred, five thousand dollars a pop with these, I don't want to say bogus lawsuits, but they weren't really serious injuries. They were just getting go away money. You know that kind of dried up, and so now I see plaintiffs' attorneys looking for that they can try to make some money on and kind of carve out a, 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 a niche market. And this is one of them because I have seen so many websites lately where attorneys are saying, you know, bad review on Yelp, defamation. Do you oh, want really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sir, you should <laughs> the search it on Google. the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that, that's wow. what's out there now. And there are people who are dedicating all sorts of resources to getting businesses in. Now, here's the thing. Why is this Yelp claim successful? Why is this business owner not um, you know, losing this argument because of an argument of opinion, right? Because we've talked before about defamation being 
the cause of action for these Yelp and other online review claims. So if somebody leaves a bad comment, you know, your place sucked, it was dirty, you know, the service was no good, you served, you know, bad food, those kind of comments are protected by the First Amendment, you would think, right? Wouldn't you think? Well, it doesn't. You, initially, I think on the on the surface you would, but isn't isn't where it starts to impact, you know, or just that the truthfulness of the review and its impact on others. I mean, you, I can't yell, run out, and start yelling lies about Peter Lamont. Right. Well, you could. And, it, 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 <laughs> Peter, who? Um, because <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> that's where that's not free speech. Now you you've been you've been you know kind of affected somebody with what you've done and, and not that that can't happen but it's not true you, you got it right there with the truth that is the answer because you want to say opinion is always opinion and truth are defenses to defamation so i'm entitled to my opinion that your food was overcooked or that your restaurant was dirty or that the sub the service was subpar i'm entitled to that opinion and i can post that opinion even if it has some negative repercussion on your business, if my intention wasn't to create that negative impact, I'm leaving my opinion entitled to it, right? Where you right. hit it right on the head is what if it's not true? What if you were not a guest at that restaurant? And for right. whatever reason, you're a competitor, you're a relative of somebody else who owns a business similar to theirs, and you want to just post something up, to trying to trash them. Well, now it's a different story because now it's not opinion. You weren't even a real customer. In this case, the guy was in the restaurant or in the store for, for moments. Clearly didn't have the opportunity to experience and then post about it. So that's really the essence of these Yelp claims because like the Internet has always been, it's a place for people to kind of cower and hide behind and say all sorts of things and attack people, you know, bully people from behind an anonymous email address. Well, now, because this has been brought to the forefront, people are looking to sue people who leave negative comments. And some of them will have the defense of it's my opinion, and others will not have done it legitimately, and they will be sued for it. And we've seen that before. You know, November, there was the, the what was it, um, it's like a $740,000 claim. I can't remember the, um, the details. But it's, it seems to have started in November with these large claims, and now it's all over the place. Look on Google. You're going to find a ton of lawyers willing to sue on behalf of your business because wow. somebody has a negative review. Well, that's, 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 um, it's interesting because the next story exactly talks about that. And when you start to talk about proof is whether or not I think, you know, in that Yelp, you know, in that last story, it's the owner could prove that this guy is full of crap and it's whether or not you can prove that something was gone, has gone wrong. Negative review of a dog obedience school on Yelp. Angie's list as well leads to a defamation lawsuit. Peter's new specialty. Uh, the owner <laughs> of a Virginia dog obedience school has filed a $65,000 defamation lawsuit against a former customer for posting negative reviews of her business on Yelp and Angie's List. Colin Dermott, the owner of Dog Tranquility in Berg, Virginia, says the comments were false and damaged her business, which has previously gotten only positive reviews, the Washington Post is reporting. 
But defendant Jennifer Ujimori isn't backing down. She says she is contesting the suit because too many businesses are using the courts to try to prevent customers from voicing their opinions on review sites. Other side of the coin here. For me, it's a matter of principle and public interest, she told the Post. People should be free to express their feelings about their service providers. Companies using the legal system to silence their critics has a chilling effect on First Amendment rights. The dispute began in January when Ujimori enrolled her white Balinese puppy, not baloney, uh, Yuki, in a basic obedience class for $175 at Dermot's school. Ujimori said she wanted to socialize Yuki, hoping that he could become a therapy dog for sick children and the elderly. But... Ujimori said the 14-week-old, four-pound dog was put in a class with much older and bigger dogs and kept in a gated-off area away from other animals. She said she asked for a prorated refund but was refused. Then she took to Yelp and Angie's list. In a nutshell, the services delivered were not as advertised and the owner refused a refund, she wrote in her Yelp review, which has since been removed. Dermot said that she sent emails to Ujimori before the start of the class explaining how it would run. She also said Yuja Murray had signed a contract with a no-refund clause and that she had tried unsuccessfully to resolve the matter before resorting to a lawsuit. Got a lot of different things kind of falling into place on this one. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, the other side of the coin is an interesting look at this. Like you were saying a few minutes ago, now she's saying chilling effect on First Amendment rights. But I want to still come back to if it's truly opinion then you're theoretically protected, and you can you can give your opinion. If it's not opinion, if it's meant to harass or harm somebody, and this is where I think that this area of litigation is really going to blossom, because remember, a judge can only decide questions of law, can't decide questions of fact. If there's a factual dispute, you know, um, what did you pay for this business? What did you say before you sold so-and-so the house? What did you do you know, before you, uh, you know, decided to invest in this company? All those things are factual, and a judge can't decide that. So that's up for jury interpretation. So now you apply that tenant of law, and you say, all right, now you've got these defamation lawsuits. Well, what does this all mean? Well, I say it's my opinion. You say it's not. Haven't we just created a factual dispute? And doesn't that now walk us down the path of protracted litigation? Because I've got to get to a jury before that issue can be dealt with. You know, people, they, one of, one of the, the top videos on our YouTube page is how to file a motion for summary judgment. And it talks about what to do because a motion for summary judgment is essentially a trial on paper. You lay out your, your case. In, in the form of a motion, you submit it to the court. It's generally after you've exchanged documents and taken depositions. And now you are going to say to the court, look, judge, there are no issues of fact here that need to be submitted to a jury. Here are, are, are all the issues. Here are the facts. And now you can decide that. So, for example, if uh, you have a breach of contract case and I say that there was no meeting of the minds, theoretically there by abolishing the contract. I say, you know, you never told me about this. I didn't know about this. I didn't know that you were going to have um, my membership terminated at Planet Fitness. It wasn't clear to me. Well, that, that's a question of law, whether or not your contract clearly explained the rights of the patrons or the people signing the contract. 
So now a judge decides that motion on uh, on summary judgment, and you know the case is over. But in these cases, it's it's opinion, so that's a fact based thing. So what's the facts that the jury would want to look at? Well, did you bring your your puppy or your dog, or did you go into this restaurant? Did you go to that that provider, that company, that business? And how long were you there? Those are all factual things. So I don't think that that what's going on in the case law is that there's a chilling effect on First Amendment um, that, that's happening. I think what's happening is businesses are saying, we've got to protect ourselves from Internet sure. trolls who want to leave negative comments just to do it. So I, I think that that's the bigger issue. A, one way that, um, you know, I think you've put, you, you, you obviously labeled that out, but you know, in, in most things I look at, one thing, what are businesses doing to protect themselves up front on this? And is there a way to do it? You know, it's really, really hard. There have been businesses who have put into their sales contracts, and I've seen them, things like, in order for you to avail yourself of our services, be it a gym or some sort of membership program, uh, a school for little kids, a preschool, I've seen contracts that say you're not permitted to disparage against our business in any way on social media. And that that might have a chilling effect on First Amendment rights. Because that's Is not saying right. That's not saying anything about opinion. Well see, you know what goes on, and this is the, the gray area of law that people just don't understand. I could put that into a contract. Nobody is going to say anything about that because if you want to go to my karate school so badly you're going to sign that agreement. Half the people don't sure. even read what they sign. The yeah. issue comes, so all right, so at that point, is is that provision I've put in that contract illegal? Well, I don't know. You know what I'll know? I'll know when somebody challenges that provision and sues me <laughs> and says, this provision's not legal. That's when you know. So, is it there? Yeah. Is it enforceable? No, that's tough. Very tough. I think that when you just say you're not allowed to post negative comments on social media, that's forcible because it's not saying you're not permitted to post false statements or defamatory statements. That might be different. Um, but just going out and saying, you know, you can't do it, that's not going to hold water. So if you have a contract that has it in there, I would really take it to a lawyer to reevaluate whether or not it's enforceable. There are some people out there, Bob, that will just stick language in a contract, and they know that it may or may not stick, but they're going to put it out there anyway because they're hoping that 50% or more of the people will look at the contract and say, oh, I can't do that. And, you know, sure. sort of just, you know, bully them into, into compliance. But you really cannot do much. And we're in a service business, you know, as, as, as lawyers. And I have to tell you, it sucks. Because no matter how much effort you might put forth and give a client, there are always people out there that want your firstborn. It's not enough. You know, it just, it gets to the point where, you know, you start to question the people that you're dealing with. Because, and I don't want to say anything bad against any of you know, the people that, that are out there looking for lawyers. Because I would, I would venture to say that 90% of people out there who need a lawyer for non-criminal matters, business or litigation or whatever, they're great people, and they just want to protect themselves. 
But there's a good 10% of people out there that would be able, if you angered them enough, to go and post negative comments online just to hurt you. You know, you have a client that comes in and maybe you don't want to accept their case for whatever the reason. And they're mad. And what do they do? They go on and they say, all right, well, well, screw you. And they're going to post something negative. So on the one hand, I understand the freedom of speech, but I think that I fall more in line with the protection of businesses on this point because I'm a consumer, but I'm also a business owner. You know, how hard is it for me to be honest and give my honest opinion versus how hard is it for me to erase a negative comment no oh, sure. yeah you can yeah all it takes is one one or two people you know you you have a, an auto mechanic shop and all you do is you post up there how this guy overcharges his work isn't good he's not a certified mechanic you know when people look online cuz that's what they do what are they going to say they're going to say well i'm going to go somewhere else that's got a sure. negative impact on a business owner and they're going to say things to other people as well yeah, and so there there does need to be protection because you can't you can't just believe that it's everybody's honest opinion. You just can't. It's just I don't know. <laughs> that kind of bothers me. Well, and you obviously have to watch out for what people say all the time. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You could say, well, here's the solution. Here's your here's your answer, business owners. Don't do anything wrong. Give top notch st- service. Be excellent. On, on customer relations. Be excellent with your products. But you know what the reality is? It doesn't make a difference how perfect no. it is. There's no. always going to be somebody out there that says, not good enough. You can't make all the people happy all the time. Nope. So, um, well, and actually, you know, it's funny. We, as we talk more and more about free speech and, and what people say and, and how they get along, uh, lawyers not immune to getting in trouble for what they may deem as free speech. Lawyer was suspended for alarming comments. According to courthousenews.com, Madison, Wisconsin, an attorney who compared public officials to Nazis and called a Wisconsin mayor a member of a death cult has been suspended for a year. Naomi Dawn Isaacson participated in litigation while serving as the CEO of the Dr. R.C. Samantha Institute of Science and Technology. While doing so, she made statements that had no apparent purpose other than to harass judicial officers, public officials, opposing counsel, and others based on race, creed, and religion, according to the Wisconsin Supreme Court's unsigned March 20th opinion. A sample of the 70 paragraphs of Isaacson's verbose and grandiose allegations includes a 2010 statement that the mayor of Schwano, Wisconsin, had wrapped her tentacles around the judicial system. One month later, Isaacson declared that Schwano, is a neo-Nazi territory where it is believed people of other races and religions have no right of life. Isaacson blasted the mayor two days later as a member of the most dangerous, dirtiest, and deadliest death cult in human history and is a descendant of Martin Luther and Hitler, who started and propagated the Lutheran cult. And the list goes on and on. The hits keep coming. Referee concluded that Isaacson made unfounded, <laughs> scurrilous, vilifying statements and religious slurs and found that Isaacson had not timely responded to the Office of Lawyer Regulations Investigators as well, which is a bigger no-no. Instead, she belatedly submitted approximately 3,000 photos and 4,000 pages of newspaper clippings and miscellaneous documents having no discernible substantial relevance to OLR's inquiries. The Wisconsin Supreme Court suspended Isaacson for a year 
quoting that she repeatedly made frivolous and harassing personal attacks and discriminatory statements in numerous documents filed in various matters. Wow. She was uh, coming unglued. Yeah. <laughs> there are, there's, you should look at, look up the uh, statistics of attorneys who become alcoholics or whatever. And I, I think that it's uh, <laughs> relatively high. I guess she did not want to go the alcohol route. So she just, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's possible. It's tough, though. I've got to say this, and I, to to any lawyer out there who who might listen to this show, they would clearly understand. I think it is really, really hard in this day and age to be a lawyer, um, because there are so many restrictions. You know, the the ethics committees that are out there that patrol lawyers. Um, there were lawyers that were recently sanctioned in New York because. Their comments made to opposing counsel at a deposition were deemed to be offensive. And, and really, I think one of the comments made was in the heat of an argument, and the lawyer says to the other lawyer, are, are you stupid? And that was enough to get him suspended. <laughs> now, I'm not saying it's right, and I would, would never, you know, regardless of how far somebody tries to push you, I would never um, fall for that sort of thing because I know what people try to do. But I've got to mm-hmm. say that, when you're advocating for your client and you're so, um, you know, involved in in this case, and you want to fight for them and you know it's right, and you know, I think things get heated. But you've got to be really careful as an attorney. And I think that being an attorney, uh, having represented non-attorneys, especially doctors and accountants, there are boards that they've got to be concerned with. But the requirements, the restrictions, they're just not that high. And maybe there's some doctors out there that would disagree with me, but I really challenge you to prove that being a doctor, being an accountant, being a real estate agent or broker, that you are held to the same high standard as attorneys. I don't think it's true. I think that attorneys get screwed more often. Now, getting back to this case, this is clearly (laughs) a case where I think they were justified in suspending her because you can't make comments like that. But, you know, you want to hear something interesting? Years ago, I was involved in a case that involved an adjunct professor at a New Jersey school, and she made comments about an administrator in the school. And one of the comments was that that she was involved in Nazism and then took a picture of the Nuremberg trial and drew a noose around a, a, a neck and then made an arrow and a reference to the the person in the picture being the person at the school that she was saying things about. So (laughs) it ends up in this this massive, massive litigation. She brought the suit, but then there were counterclaims filed, obviously because of the picture. But, you know, nothing happened there. There was some some monetary issues. There were some disputes. uh, There was a defamation claim. And maybe there was a little bit of money that changed hands. But if an attorney had done that, they'd be suspended or disbarred. And, you know, I understand the idea of holding attorneys to higher standards. But you know what I wonder is, what do the big law attorneys, what standards do they have? The ones that are involved in, um, you know, a lot of securities fraud and other illegal activities. You know, where is the same watchdog group over those attorneys in big law that might be doing things that are illegal, 
But yet, you know, now I'm not condoning at all what this lady did. This lady's nuts, and I wouldn't want her representing my company. But, you know, you get where I'm going with this. It just it, There's a lot of things that are unfair, and I think that this is one of them. Well, that's where yeah, <laughs> I just um, – I think it depends on who you're offending or what your, I guess we'll call crime is. Right. You know, and, yeah. and and how that sits with with, with every everybody like say it's okay to do this over here a little bit with the money thing. Nobody's paying attention, but well, you've insulted me. Now we have an issue. Well, the minute you say Nazi swastika, and oh, I understand yeah. it, not not at all condoning it, so don't misunderstand right. what I'm saying. But the minute you say that, um, I think you, yeah, I think you, you're you're done. And I think you know, look, we've all heard the back-and-forth disputes where, you know, you might use the N-word if you're Caucasian, but if you're African-American, there's a different standard. We've heard that argument before, um, but there is some truth to it. So I think that those trigger words, the N-word, you know, derogatory racial slurs, Nazi, those things I think are just off-limits, and if you're stupid enough to say something like that, you know, you probably do deserve to be punished, sanctioned, suspended, or whatever. You know, there's other words to come up with. Cotton-headed mini-muggins is one of them. <laughs> Goat smelling. The, the the funny thing with me was the, the 70 paragraphs. It's not, it, she didn't do it once. She apparently did it 70 times. <laughs> yeah, clearly there's something wrong with this one. So. Oh, man. Oh, well, you know I, what? I hear the Aryan Nation is looking for general counsel. So once she gets unsuspended, why don't you head on over to the Aryan Nation and see if they'll take you in? Yeah, we understand you don't mind working with us. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, some people think the police that are sometimes, and uh, well, and of course, in Ferguson, the protesters have settled with police. I didn't know there was a suit or any legal action going on whatsoever. Surprisingly, this was a very quiet suit. Yeah, but this isn't I, one we apparently. Yeah, no, it slipped past the radar in St. Louis. Three police agencies on Thursday reached a settlement with Ferguson protesters who filed a lawsuit to restrict their use of tear gas during protests. Apparently, we're looking for a kinder, gentler machine gun hand. The settlement requires officers to provide clear and unambiguous warnings before they use gas. Hey, we're going to gas you. Allow sufficient opportunity for people in the area to leave first. We're going to use gas. Get out. Attempt to minimize the impact on people complying with lawful demands. Don't gas those people leaving. Ensure there's a safe escape path. And do not use gas to frighten or punish people lawfully exercising their constitutional rights. Attorneys for St. Louis Police Chief Sam Dotson, St. Louis Police Chief John Belmar, and uh, Missouri Highway Patrol Captain Ronald Johnson signed off on the settlement agreement. (laughs) This victory rests on the shoulders of the courageous protesters, who are tirelessly demonstrating in the streets of Ferguson. And it is a testament to the powerful movement they have fostered, lawyers said in a joint statement, also saying that such excessive police force hadn't been seen since the civil rights movement of the 1960s. The use of tear gas in Ferguson has been a tactic to chill this movement, and today's uh, consent decree will finally put a stop to those efforts. Police claiming that they had to use tear gas to prevent looting and loss of life as the protests over Michael Brown's death turned violent. U.S. District Judge Carol Jackson issued a TRO back against police in December of uh, December 11th hearing. The TRO required police to provide a reasonable warning 
to protesters before deploying gas, but did not define what constituted reasonable. Always fun. Jackson dismissed the lawsuit on Thursday with the consent decree. Um, I'm a firm believer if you run with dogs, you're going to get fleas. But yeah. apparently that no longer holds true. So, hmm. I don't know what to think of this. Really don't. I guess, you know, I mean, with there obviously sometimes there's, in, in our past, we have done some not so righteous things to protesters between dogs and fire hoses, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I didn't, I, I, I wasn't there, so I didn't understand that there was an issue with overuse of force when it came to trying to quell that situation. You know, I'm a little torn on this one, too, because there were a lot of protesters that I saw on the news that were staying put. They weren't looting. They weren't robbing. And, and, you know, I I do think that a lot of those people um, ended up becoming victims of tear gas when they really weren't doing anything wrong. Uh, You know, there were even news reporters who, who... stuck themselves in the middle of the fray and, and you know, and then they're choking on the tear, de- tear gas. I don't have what sympathy for them. You know, they're looking for some sort of journalism award, so, you know, you get what you get. <laughs> Hopefully not posthumously. <laughs> but, you know, I just think it's, um, I don't know, I think it's a tough thing because I do think that you do have those officers out there that are, that are like, oh, yes, finally tear gas. And they love the sound that the tear gas canister makes as it pops through the rifle end. And they're like, oh, I love it. You know? I love the smell of tear gas in the morning. <laughs> I think there are a lot of people like that. Um, but I, I also understand why we would use it. But I think that in light of some of the things that, that have been demonstrated, some of the unlawful activities demonstrated by police, I don't think it's a bad thing to say. I mean, the same way that a lot of states, if you're trying to defend your home, you have to make a statement, I have a gun and I'll shoot you kind of thing. Right, um, right. Giveaway position. Yeah, good call. Right. <laughs> I, that, um, <laughs> I think that, that I understand. Does that mean that you're not going to have officers saying you got tear gas and shoot? No, that's the way it's going to go, but it's going to come down to that reasonable <laughs> argument. And I will turn this protest around and we'll all go home if you guys don't knock it off. Yeah. <laughs> That's end up, though, being the bulk of civil rights litigation uh, with tear gas, assuming we see it in the future. Was it reasonable in, in, or was it unreasonable? Sure. In, in all seriousness, this really, you know, we talked about it before, you and I both, and we kind of agree to it, is that there has to become, or I don't want to say there has to become, but there is going to become, a greater focus on, for lack of better terms, a customer service style attitude when it comes to police. And I, I'm, I'm also torn on how do how I feel about what the direction that's going. Well, you know what? At the end of the tear gas campaign, everyone who was gassed will get a customer service survey. Um, and Yelp <laughs> is gas in an appropriate manner. Was the gas pretty? Um, you know, how sick did you get? Would you come back to the same location and be gassed again? That sort of thing. <laughs> we'll be reading about the Yelp reviews and, of course, the St. Louis police fighting those. That's not how we used gas. It was all over here. The blue over there was strictly a wind thing. We had no control over it. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. 
yeah, that's that's. <laughs> you get gas gas in L.A. than in Ferguson. They've got better gas. You don't joke as much. If you're gonna, yeah, if you're going to get gas, is it, can we get something red that's more natural? It's something that doesn't irritate my skin so much. Excuse me, uh, use organic gas because I'm a, a <laughs> vegan and I believe in organic. <laughs> I'm not even going to touch that one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but the thing I, I guess you know, I, I, I'm I'm curious as to what their steps are going to be to abide by this in the future. I, that's that's what I'm more curious. What is this going to cause? What is this going to create? You know, and I worse yet, very little. Does it's it does it set any does it set anybody up for a loss of? Um, and you know the term because I don't because I'm not smart. I'm not a lawyer. I don't have a P number. Um, the, the the phrase uh, that the indemnification of the the authority does it? All right, let's let me try to figure out what you're saying here. Yeah, that, that yeah. the cops can't be held responsible. Oh, like yeah, they're they're indemnified. So yeah, yeah. yeah. right. So you know, I think it's going to come down to the same analysis we use in civil rights claims against police officers today. They have that immunity, right? So they've got a level of immunity. Did they go beyond or exceed the, the bounds of their immunities because they acted in a grossly right. negligent manner? So right. that's what yeah. it's going to come down to. And I think the same holds true here. Uh, and that's, to me, this isn't an earth-shattering decision because I understand the, the logic behind it. What I do think you'll see is everybody and their brother calling up a lawyer and saying, you know, five years ago I was gassed and I don't think it was reasonable, so can we sue? <laughs> What am I? Yeah, I'm suffering from it still these days. Yes, yeah, so yeah. am I. It's called Siren, and I got it in the Gulf. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you the document someday when I'm bored. <laughs> yeah, so the next time anybody you out there think that you were gassed and you're suffering, I'm going to give you Bob's phone number. That's right. I'll, I'll show you gassed. Um, <laughs> we'll put it right along. We have, um, in this case, just A makes me sick. But B kind of is a good example of what, you know, when you start talking about freedoms going too far, um, you know, freedom of the press, freedom of expression, an animal crush case could go federal. Courthousenews.com in Houston telling us the two Texans jailed for videos they made showing the torture and killing of puppies and kittens might be federally, federally charged for the footage after the Supreme Court refused to hear their case, the U.S. Supreme Court. Ashley Nicole Richards, 24, and Brent Justice, 53, both of Houston, were indicted by a federal grand jury in November 2012, charged with several counts of making and distributing animal crush videos under the Animal Crush Video Prohibition Act of 2010, which I'm surprised there's even an act that specifically outlines this. Um, Federal prosecutors claim Richards and Justice filmed and posted eight videos showing her torturing and killing puppies, chickens, and kittens. U.S. District Judge Sim Lake tossed the animal crush charges on First Amendment grounds. The government appealed, though, to the Fifth Circuit, which reinstated the charges. Richards and Justice appealed to the Supreme Court. They were declined to take up the case on Monday. The case is now remanded to Lake, who has yet to set a trial date. Now, the filmmakers have been in state custody on animal cruelty charges since their arrests in August of 2012, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Richards was sentenced to 10 years in state prison after pleading guilty to three counts of animal cruelty justice is in Harris County Jail in lieu of $50,000 bond. 
The Supreme Court's decision is bad news for the Deer because they face five federal animal crush charges. They're convicted. Each count carries a maximum sentence of seven years in federal prison. Prosecutors say both could face $250,000 in fines as well. There are sick people in the world, but how could this even possibly, possibly be tossed by the judge in the first round? You know, I don't know. I think it was going to come down to a discussion of the statute itself. And what we don't know is how the statute was written and whether or not that judge believed that they actually violated the statute. You know, I think that you're going to see a lot of times judges who think your behavior is deplorable, but they either are unfamiliar with an area of law, they have a bad law clerk who did research and didn't do it properly, um, but they're going to come out and they're going to say, what you did was disgusting and sick, but I don't think that it violates the statute. Um, and that could be where this went. But clearly, I mean, these people are absolutely sick, totally sick. You know, I don't understand it. I don't understand, um, you know, why you would do this. It's because both of the defendants, they're, they're very different in age. It's not like a teenage or young kids doing this. Because I don't know, watched face. They don't understand. Yeah, it just there's a teacher who showed that that video to her. Right, right, right. You know, I I don't know these people. So much. I, I'm look. I, I never go out and harm an animal. I think it's totally cruel. Am I the animal guy myself? Oh, um, but I think this makes me work because you're the kind would go out and torture an innocent creature, something that can't defend itself. And then they found you. I think if you're going to be that sick, could you be sick with humans too? I I don't, I can't even begin to understand it. And like I said, I, I'm, I'm totally, when I read the story, was amazed that there was an Animal Crush Video Prohibition Act that it actually needed to spell out. That's like me telling my child the second time, don't touch the hot burner. Yeah, I, I don't understand the really, really, really sick things that go on. And there's just, you know, there, there's no way around this. And you know, then you get into discussions about the criminal, um, you know, penal system. Um, is this going to rehabilitate them? And I'm going to say, no way, because if you're oh. sick enough to do something like that, you know, you're Hannibal Lecter and you're never going to recover. You're still going to yeah. be there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, was, I was surprised that the First Amendment grounds even, even allowed it. But, uh, you know, hey, if, if, you know, and that's the sad thing is, if, if, like you said, you know, the judges may feel one way or another, but the fact is you, you didn't violate what's supposed to be violated – I can't do anything, and that's the unfortunate and, part. Yeah, and you know what? That's like this in every case. You're going to have a judge who is just a lawyer, right? The fact that they're a judge, yes, they've risen to rank, sometimes politically motivated, but they're still people. They're not infallible. They're, you know, it's, they're going to look at cases. They're going to look at interpretations, and they're going to say, this is how I view it, and that's why there's a checks and balance system with appeals tribunals or appeal, appeal uh, courts of appeals. You know, if you think you made a mistake, then at least you've got another alternative. And, you know, while this has nothing to do with crushing animals, this is a good um, 
point to make for business owners. This is why I don't like, for most businesses, arbitration. Because arbitration is not something you can appeal. You go to an arbitration and you've got a, a, a lawyer, a judge, a retired judge, or a business owner, whoever might be the arbitrator, and they say, this is our opinion, this is what we believe, based upon your arguments and what you submitted, here's my, my decision. You can't appeal that. Whereas if a judge makes a mistake, and it's a, a, you know, a legal mistake, you've got some grounds but, to yeah, appeal. Some recourse, yeah. So, yeah, so I think that, that while this, again, way outside the realm of this story, it's a good point to take away. Yes, arbitration might be cheaper sometimes, but what happens when you get a bad decision and you can't appeal? So, yeah, I'm stuck with it. Um, you know, and actually, you know, it's it, it, this is this is something that could easily end up in a situation like this. A construction company liable for a waterless pond if one such exists. Courthousenews.com, Des Moines, Iowa. Construction company is liable for breach of warranty for building a waterless pond. The Iowa Court of Appeals ruled Wednesday, reversing a district court decision. Here you go, a great example. The point of contention in the lawsuit was whether defendant Riley Construction expressed, or excuse me, breached an express or implied warranty when it built a pond for landowner Backelder Incorporated that didn't hold water. Backelder hired Riley to build a recreational pond on this property in 2009. Riley finished the pond in 2010 by damming a spring and digging out a depression to catch the water. Excuse me, Backelder said the pond served its purpose in the summer of 2010 when precipitation was well above average. But by autumn, the water level sank low enough to expose the tires on the pond's floor, which was put there for habitat for fish. While doing remedial work, Riley Construction discovered a porous layer of shale just beneath the surface of the pond's sides, which was allowing water to seep out. In court, experts on both sides testified that the site was not suitable for a pond. Although Riley received about $90,000 for building the pond, it filed a mechanics lien for payment of its remedial work. Bach Elder refused to pay, claiming Riley failed to deliver a recreational pond. The appellate court agreed. Judge Mary Tabor wrote, By definition, a pond is a body of water, quoting both the American Heritage College Dictionary and Iowa statutes. When Riley agreed to construct a pond on Bach Elder's property, he was expressly warranting the pond would hold water. Otherwise, Riley would have simply been constructing a dam. Although the parties squabbled over who bore responsibility to ensure the designated site was suitable for a man-made pond, Tabor asserted the fact that the designated location on Bach Elder's land was not a suitable place for a pond constituted a breach of Riley's warranty that he could build a pond on that site. She added Riley's miscalculation in not checking the soil conditions before digging and therefore being unable to achieve the result of a pond that would hold water constituted a breach of the implied warranty of workmanlike instruction. Tabor said the district court's focus was misplaced when it let Riley off the hook because he warned, quote-unquote, Bach Elder, the pond might need a supplemental water source. The key question was not the source of the water for the pond, but the structure's ability to actually retain the water. Um, yeah, had this gone to arbitration, very easily could have been stuck with a bad decision. You know, it could have been because you know, you're going to look at something like this where you're dealing with something um, you know, ground sediments and shale, which you might not have any involvement in if you were not a litigator. So you're a business owner who happens to be an arbitrator and you get stuck with a business, you know, I don't care who it is. It could be a business mogul, a big business titan. They might not know anything about this. 
And depending upon their caseload and what they're doing, maybe they don't have time to understand what the impact of, you know, learning that one of these levels, these layers of, of ground soil was shale. Shale, I mean, I've litigated cases like this, environmental cases. Shale is this very, very thin layer of, of sedimentary rock, and it's really mud. And so it doesn't hold any moisture. It doesn't retain the moisture. It just, it's, it's, it's kind of porous and things seep through it. And, um, you know, that's something that a good business lawyer might not know. A good, you know, business owner acting as an arbitrator might not know. It kind of takes somebody who has had experience with this before. And then when it comes down to a judge, a judge has to learn things that they might know. They've got more of an opportunity to see. You know, they're going to they're gonna see the complaint, and you're talking about sedimentary layers not holding water. They're going to look that up, or at least they're going to have their law clerk look it up. So you've got a better chance, I think, of having a better decision because in this case, the construction company should have done better uh, ground testing before just digging a hole. You know, that's like, you know, I'm going to give you a, a pond at the at the beach, and you go and you, you dig a nice big hole in the sand, and then there's no water five minutes later. So that's on them. Um, but it does make a good example of how, you know, at least there's a, a, I don't know, I think there's a better chance with litigation, and there's going to be some people out there that say, well, of course, I mean, you know, lawyers want litigation. They make more money. You know, maybe some, maybe that's not always true. Because a lot of times people will hire lawyers to go to arbitration with them, but I'm I'm thinking about this from a business standpoint, not from a you know a lawyer standpoint where lawyers want to make money. What's better for your business? Uh, I would say sure. I'd rather have that second bite at the apple. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we got time for one more. Okay. Um, and this this one is is more you know a, a bit of a disturbing nature, but the fact of the matter is a lot of people use apps. A man has soon sued Grinder for negligence after getting caught with a boy who was 13. FindLaw.com. Gosh, we've all been there, haven't we? Uh, one day you're casu- casually browsing through your smartphone's hookup app, app, looking for the next love of your life. Next thing you know, you're being arrested for a three-party sexual liaison with a minor. However, the question is, who should be responsible? According to William Saperano of or Saponero, excuse me, of New Jersey, the app should bear at least some blame. After being arrested for engaging in an app-assisted sexual encounter with a 13-year-old boy, Sapanero sued Grinder, the hookup app, for negligence in allowing the minor to utilize the app. Grinder, one of the first successful hookup apps around, uses a smartphone's geolocation capabilities to locate folks. Given the adult nature of many of the conversations and encounters organized through Grinder, the company restricts the use to those 18 and over. Sapanero's victim was 13 at the time they met. Saperano or Sapanero, excuse me was 52. According to the Volk conspiracy, Sabanero argued that Grinder was a neglect or excuse me, negligent in allowing the boys access to the services and that Sabanero reasonably relied upon the app's age restriction when the arranging encounter came through a third user. Well, ta-da. The court quickly rejected Sabanero's claims of negligence. Since Grinder owed him no duty of care, it could not be liable to him under New Jersey law, the court held. Now, Sabanero was owed no duty because he could not be, uh, he could not foresee himself as a victim of the app's alleged negligence. 
since Saponero communicated with a third member of the three-party tryst and not directly with the boy as well, Grinder could have no way of foreseeing any potential wrongdoing as well. The court also found that the Communications Decency Act barred Saponero's claim. The CDA's Good Samaritan Clause prevents providers of interactive computer services from being treated as the publisher or the information or of the information disseminated on them. It's this clause that keeps your internet company from being liable for the content of your emails, for example. The CDA's impunity provisions cover Grinder, shielding it from liability for any misrepresentations the 13-year-old may have made and uh, from the claims that it failed to properly supervise its app. Um, I have to believe that not all problems are covered by the CDA. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that it's a it look, the law itself is a decent law aimed at protecting content providers. It essentially is what years and years ago when when Yahoo was sued and there was an argument that Yahoo Yahoo is just a portal and that they're not responsible for um the activities that might go on, the unlawful or illegal activities. It's the same type argument and that whole argument, you know, sort of created this law. Uh there are plenty of things that you could still um, go after a provider for. So, for example, not enforcing your terms and conditions if you had the opportunity to do so. Not properly screening, although there may or may not be a duty to screen, and that's kind of where this body of law has evolved from because back at the, the beginning of the Internet, there was a lot of discussion about, well, if a provider is um, unaware of something, that's going on through their medium, should they have been aware? Was there an opportunity to inspect? And a lot of the, the cases have, had come down in the past saying, well, there's no duty to, to go and see who's posting because it makes it completely impractical for you to provide this service if you have to study the millions and millions of posts that occur on a daily basis. So that's sort of where this went. Um, I understand this ruling. I mean, that that's – look, I think that there's some blame that's got to fall on the parents. And I've said this before. When you've got something like Facebook and you know that a kid has to be whatever age it is, 13, 14, to, to have a Facebook account, it is the parents' responsibility to look and see what their kids are doing on the Internet. I, I can't emphasize that enough because – is this guy some creepy guy picking up kids? Yes. Sure. I mean, the, the 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 actual encounter did occur, and unless this thirteen-year-old kid would pass for a nineteen, twenty-year-old, somebody should have said to themselves, "Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, something's not right here." Um, but that didn't happen, of course. Because um, you know, the creepy old man isn't going to say that. Right. So, you know, I, I can't necessarily say that I blame the provider, because if you blame the provider, then you open up a whole can of worms about, right. you know, what are they supposed to do? What's their duty and obligation? And then what you'll see is a, a reversal of technology. There will be no apps. There will be no websites, because people will be worried about being sued all the time. So I think that this is unfortunate. I think the guy's sick, and I think that the parents should have stepped in. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's it's 
That's that common sense hitting home again. And that's the same thing. I mean, you talk about a good example of that, I would assume, in, in actual tangible is, is uh, elements is the gun laws. It's not the gun manufacturers that kill people. Right, right. And, it, and, it, and they've tried and tried and tried to hold them responsible because what they use, what they create does one thing, it kills. Yeah. True. But it's not, we don't, we're not the ones doing it. We just, we're just here. And so... It, it, you know, well, you have Facebook. Look at Facebook and bullying. Yep. You know, it's it's not Facebook. But now, and you said something in there is, is they're not enforcing their terms and or conditions. Um, could a, if a company said we promise you or we guarantee you or we have uh, catch um, uh, say stop gaps that prevent minors from utilizing the app? Does that then open themselves up to yes. responsibility? Yeah, I believe and is so. And that's why they don't say it. <laughs> that's right. That's why if you look at the privacy policy, the terms and conditions on the website, you're going to see all sorts of waivers and disclaimers. And I, I remember years ago, it has to be back 2008 or nine. Um, there was an, uh, a litigation that I was – investigating concerning a company that provided um, contractor referrals. So you'd go to the website, you'd type in what you needed done, and then they'd give you a bunch of contractors. And one of the things that they touted themselves with doing on the site is that they did checks. They did background checks on the people that were on their site. So the way it worked is that you as the consumer wouldn't pay to access the site. The contractor would pay to be listed on the site, and then I told you that they did background checks. And there was a, a, a person who had hired a contractor only to find out that not only did the contractor screw up the job, but they didn't have a home improvement contractor's license. So, yeah, I mean, in that situation where they say, we screen, we guarantee, we this, we that, once you set that bar, if you abide by your own policies and terms, then, yeah, then I think that the laws off the table with respect to protecting um, you know, companies that are, are producing apps or portals or whatever. So, yeah, I definitely think so. There you go. That's what I got. That's what I got. All right. So we uh, we covered a lot today. A lot was uh, was happening last week. A couple stories we didn't get to, but I don't think that they were anything earth-shattering. Um, we can always add them in next week. I'll say one thing. Pe- peanut butter. That's all I'll say is peanut butter. Peanut butter. Peanut butter. Had peanut, eat peanut butter. <laughs> now you know what I'm talking about. I do. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's going to do it for us today. Um, just a couple of the things before we sign off. Don't forget tomorrow live with business and legal Q&A. Uh, we have questions for tomorrow, but submit your questions for upcoming shows. Um, I have been contemplating, just based upon the number of questions that come in, maybe extending it to two, three, four days a week. We'll see how that goes uh, and what you guys tell me on your feedback. But tune in tomorrow at 10 o'clock. It'll be streaming on YouTube Live and then on you know this channel, Blog Talk Radio, and uh, something that you can, you can obviously download on iTunes. So you get a business question and answer and a legal question and answer. And the past couple of weeks, we've had some really, really good questions um, on both fronts, legal and business. So tomorrow, 
It's no exception. We've got very good questions. So tune in. If you missed the live show, then obviously download it. If you've got questions, comments, post them anywhere that we have, um, you know, a, a site. You can post on YouTube, on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, wherever. I mean, we're very, very accessible. And uh, please take advantage of it. Don't forget, download the app. The app allows you to listen to the show live, watch the video library, and ask your questions. So, you know, download the app. It's now available for Android. So check that out. I also want to just give a final thanks to today's sponsor, Constant Contact. Head over to utlradio.com, click on the link, and you will get a free 60-day trial. It's exclusive to utlradio.com. So check that out. Thanks again to them for sponsoring us. And thanks to all of you who download and, and listen and, um, and, and engage us. We really do appreciate it. Just last week, I had a number of calls from people who said they were fans of the show and uh, had some general questions that we were able to answer for them. So I appreciate it. You know, just keep on listening. And, um, you know, Bob and I are going to be here next week again. And don't forget, if you ever want to get on the air, during a live show, including including Monday's show, um, I promise Bob will not yell at you. He will accept your uh, right. you know your call. I will be tolerant of your, your views. Yes, right. See, he he understands how the world works today, and he's not going to sue you for interrupting the broadcast. Um, no, so no, the guest no. call in number, write it down. It's three four seven eight five five eighty eight thirty one. Just don't go to Planet Fitness, right, Bob? <laughs> I didn't say that. I'm just echoing your sentence. <laughs> Not if you're a musclehead like me. All right, well, that'll do it. You. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm not going into anybody's locker room, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> that's going to do it for today, Bob. I will talk to you next week. Everybody else, tune in tomorrow, 10 o'clock. Business is Live. Once upon a morning, there was a freshly brewed McCafe coffee. It was made with 100% Arabica beans, yet something was missing. Fear not, in the distance, a sausage McMuffin with egg rides toward the sunrise in quest for breakfast. The perfect pair met at McDonald's, and mornings were happy forever after. Right now, get a $1 small coffee and a $2 sausage McMuffin with egg from the $1-2-3 menu. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.